0: Welcome to Holy Cross. Uh, My name is Kent Woodrow. I'm the next generation pastor here at Holy Cross. Uh, Really glad you all are here with us. Third through fifth graders, I know you didn't expect this. (laughs) Parents, I know you barely expected this. So, hey, really glad to have you guys in here. Um, And I'm just going to talk to you for a little bit at the front end here. Um, I'm talking to adults for the most part, like, um, but... You can learn from this too. We adults, we get scared. Things happen in life and we feel like we have to control it. And very often, you know, we talk to you guys about trusting in Jesus and so forth. We don't do a good job at that. And so this sermon is to help us know how to live out that trust. Okay? And it's never too late to start learning. If you guys can figure out what this looks like at your age, you're going to be in a great place, okay? So the sermon's for you guys too. All right, so uh, while Rick has been gone on vacation, we've had a three-week series on hope uh, that we've been preaching out of 1 Peter. Um, And so we're going to go back to 1 Peter again, 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, our text today is going to be verses 6 through 9. Can I just be honest? Um, lest you think I'm standing up here as somebody who is summary and just naturally given to cheerfulness and happiness and therefore a, a sermon on hope just kind of springs out of me naturally. Wow, have I got you fooled. <laughs> I shouldn't be preaching this sermon. I'm not qualified for it, okay? I, uh, I'm an Enneagram four, for those of you who love the Enneagram, that's, that's the moody type, that's the depressive type, okay, that's the, like, I'll go to you when I'm sad, I don't want to hang around you, invite you to my party type, okay, uh, I am, I've got a family history of depression, so I'm genetically predisposed to just, like, downness, um, in fact, uh, when I was in college, the first girl I was ever interested in, considered in dating, turned me down. And she said, "Ken, it's because you're a hope killer. <laughs> I just can't do this. Like, we can't be in this relationship because, like, gosh, you, you bring me down. It was a turning point. It was painful. It was a turning point. But, um, and then finally, four years ago... Um, I was in such a hopeless, dark place that I legitimately would have let go of God if the Lord had not been holding on to me. I preach this to you because it changes our lives. Because we serve a God of hope, right? And he wants to change your life the secure anchor of his hope what he has done for you is meant to change how you live it's meant to actually make your life better (laughs) believe it or not Uh, so that's where this sermon's coming from that's where this series has come from so if you're able and willing would you uh, would you stand as we read our text for today And as we ask the question, how should hope shape our lives? Peter's about to give us an answer. I know you've only got printed in your bulletin verses six through nine. That's the portion portion that we're going to preach through. Um, But I'm going to start at verse three because this is where, this is the foundation. This is where everything that he says, here's how you're supposed to now live. It's all based out of this first part that we preached on last week. So if you missed that, eh, plug for myself. Please listen to that on our podcast. Um, All right not a plug for me it's a plug for jesus i think like it's, it's it's the most important part of this section it's talking about his resurrection okay all right so first peter 1 verse starting in verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this, you rejoice." The old KJV says, in this you greatly rejoice. There's a powerful word here. Though now for a little while, if necessary, the salvation of your souls. This is the true word, the living God gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, I don't know where we all are today. Maybe, maybe hope is an easy thing for us. Or maybe we're just in a really dark and hard place. Wherever we're at, Jesus, we ask that you would meet us. We need our Savior. And Father, the hope that you give us is meant to shape and change our lives, to shape and change how we we do every day. So would you give us that? Would you help us to know how to step out of this room today, how to wake up tomorrow, how to live our lives with our eyes fixed on Jesus and what he has done? Would you do this for His glory and our good? We pray, Amen. Please be seated. All right. Um, so this, I'm just going to be up front with y'all. This is a do-heavy sermon. So it, it's it's a it's a lot about what are we supposed to do? And I want to as as it's that kind of sermon, I want us to think about where we've been. The first sermon we talked about the ancient foundations of our hope. God making promises to his people that I I will make this right. And God has proven himself faithful. And then last week we talked about how Jesus' resurrection is literally the turning point of everything. Because Jesus stepped out of that tomb, God proved his faithfulness to the umpteenth degree. We can trust his promises. And we can live now like changed, God-empowered lives, right? So now this sermon asks the question, what does that look like? How then does this hope that is secure for us in Jesus, how should it change our lives? Did you catch that in the very beginning when we start reading in verse 6? In this you rejoice, and then later on, with joy that is inexpressible. Filled with glory. Hey, um, a lot of people will hear that sort of stuff and they they will think God is calling you to a Pollyanna-ish existence. One that says just plaster a smile on your face, live in a different reality than the one that actually is. It deny, live in denial that anything hard happens. And just kind of cling to this amorphous idea of there's a heaven out there and we're all headed toward it. That's cotton candy Christianity. The Christianity that God offers is gritty. The hope that God offers is gritty. It is real. It is is something you can sink your teeth into and live day by day, okay? Here's why. Because God cares about your present lived existence. He didn't just save you and then like, okay, Now you do life, figure this out. And, you know, we'll meet up in heaven later. He cares about life. He cares about where you are right now. And you know why? Um, Well, because he loves you, right? The kind of God who, who would go through everything we did, what we talked about. In in last, last week's sermon. How could he not care about your life right now? He cares about your present reality. He gets that life is hard. He gets that this is tough. He gets that hope is tough. And so he offers you something that's actually real. And it's better than the bumper sticker Christianity we often have, right? So let's talk through some of the ways that we... Uh, as human beings, try to cope with our anxieties and fears. If you guys remember from two sermons ago, uh, we had four things we talked about. We talked about activism, the way we we deal with our fears. We talked about activism, naive optimism, numbing out and jaded pessimism. And I'm just gonna blaze through these really quick and and ask the question, how does the gritty, real hope that God gives us, How does that so much better than these coping mechanisms that we run to instead of God's hope? And here's my, here's my encouragement to you, okay? As you're hearing this stuff, ask yourself, where am I? What do I run to? Because odds are every one of us in this room have, tend toward one of these things, okay? So the activism idea. That's the, I don't like where things are headed, so I'm gonna change it, right? And it becomes all about control. Um, so here's my encouragement for you. If that's you, if you get scared by what things are coming and then you're like, you start pulling out your spreadsheets, you call up your people, you know all that sort of stuff, you're gonna control this situation. You're gonna change things. Instead of jumping to control, listen to what God says in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. If your gut is to jump to control, be still. Repentance for you may look like doing nothing. And grounding yourself in the hope that God is in control, not you. Gritty hope means trying not to control the future, but trusting the God who does. Okay, so that's activism. If you tend toward naive optimism, that's the one that the person's like, hey, you know what, it's just going to work out. Just just believe it. Believing things will go your way just because you believe it. Um, Can I... Let's just be brutally honest. Again, as a four, as a pessimist, um, it doesn't. It doesn't. Just because you want things to go a certain direction and you believe it with all your heart doesn't mean that's what's going to happen, right? And here's why I say this. It might be a little odd in a sermon on hope to uh, (laughs) to say, hey, guess what? Things don't always turn out your way. Um, But here's why. I love you. Okay, And if that's the world you're living in, you're in for a world of hurt. Because eventually, that last straw is going to break the camel's back. You're going to find out that there's, there was one too many things that you were setting your hopes on and it didn't work out. And you're going to get angry and guess where that anger is going to go? Into your relationship with God and you're going to blame him for everything that, that went wrong in your life. Gritty hope offers us something different, OK? Gritty hope tells us that like, some dreams have to die, and that's hard. That's painful. Repentance for you may look like letting go, saying no, and then mourning the death of those dreams with a God who understands your hurt and your terror. That's why you deny that bad things can happen is you're scared. God gets that. He wants to walk with you through it. Okay. Gritty hope looks like being grounded. Recognizing things don't always go my way, but things always go God's way, and that's better for me. Okay. So that's activism, naive optimism. We're blazing through these. Numbing out. Again, this is where a lot of us are. I'm just not going to think about the fears. I'm just not going to think about the future. I'm sticking my head in the sand. I'm not going to think about it. Hey, again... Can I say this lovingly? Um, you're killing yourself. That's not what you were made for. Human beings weren't made to squash their hopes. And again, I get it. It's a protective mechanism. We're so afraid of being hurt, so afraid of like having things blow up in our face that we'd rather not feel anything than feel that. Right? So here's what repentance might look like for you. It might look like risking having hope and actually admitting you have dreams and wants to the God who already knows that you do. Right, Trusting your loving heavenly father who never gives stones to his kids who ask for bread. Gritty hope means trusting your father to be tender with your hopes. The ones that you're scared to admit you have. Alright, and the final category before we jump into this text, is the the category of jaded pessimism. The one that's like, you were stupid to hope. Did you ever have that play in your head? Why did you let your hopes get up? Of course, of course it's going to end up that way. And then you go around trying to get everybody to not hope. I think it's done out of love in some sense, but it's also just really bad. It's just really cynical. And I say this as a recovering jaded pessimist, Okay. I say, again, like, I'm working hard at this. This is an ugly attitude. It's self-protective. But it's, the, it's one that makes your mind dwell on all the things that God has called you to not dwell on. Remember Philippians 4, 8? That which is true, love. It doesn't say dwell on the ways that you can protect yourself from all, you know, like, no. Jaded pessimism ultimately factors God out of the equation. It only focuses on the sin and the brokenness and not the God who triumphs over sin and brokenness, okay? And so repentance, again, say this lovingly, for those of us who are jaded pessimists, repentance may look like just shutting our mouths. (laughs) Instead of killing the hope in somebody else, just shut our mouths, put away the phone whenever cynicism rises up and then ask yourself the question, right? Why do I feel the need to reach for that? And then talk to God about it. He wants to hear that from you. To have real and gritty hope means you stop <laughs> we stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Cuz that's what Jada's pessimists are all about, right? The world has hurt me so I dare not hope. And we start feeling sorry for ourselves. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Trust God when he says sin and brokenness do not have the last word, he does. So let's trade in these counterfeit hopes for a real gritty hope, a hope that is given to us by the Lord, one that actually will help us do this life differently, okay? Especially when our faith is tested and when we're under fire. Because like the Christians that Peter was writing to, Eventually, you will be under fire. And those coping mechanisms, those false hopes, that cotton candy Christianity is not going to last you. You're going to need gritty hope. So let's get back to our question. How should hope shape our lives? Here we're going to look at verses six through seven. This you greatly rejoice though for a little while if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. Hope shapes our lives by sustaining us when our faith is under fire, when our faith is tested. So what does it mean to have your faith, t- faith tested? Again, we live in the valley. We, a lot of us are familiar with this Christianese, this jargon, like, my faith's being tested. What do you mean by that? It means to be put through the wringer, doesn't it? It means to be placed in situations where you, you end up questioning God's love for you and his faithfulness for you. And as a result, you end up questioning your love for God and your loyalty to him. It means being put in that spot where everything is stripped away from you. And to get to the point where you're seriously asking yourself the question, if all this Jesus stuff is real, and if it is real, then is it worth it, right? You ever been there? And if you've never been there, <laughs> jaded pessimist, you will be. <laughs> That's part of what God has to walk us through, right? Um, you will be under fire. Peter says, you've been grieved. Again, we, we hear these words, and guess what the word in Greek means for grieved? It means grieved. <laughs> but we hear grieved. You know what grieved means? It's this emotional painness. It's the strong word involving emotional distress. And he says, okay, you've been grieved by these various trials, like many every variety of trial that comes, a wide range of temptations and difficulties that test your willingness to stick it out under fire when you could just yell, uncle. You could just say, I'm done and walk away, right? So how does gritty hope sustain our faith when it's under fire? Well, here's what Peter says. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now, if necessary, you've been disagreed by these various trials. Um, though now, for a little while. Momentary. Gritty hope puts trials in their eternal perspective. Right? And it may not feel like it. Like Again, Peter's not minimizing your hurt. He's, he's helping you have a mindset, right? Anything you have ever done, I want you to think about anything you've ever done that's been worth doing that cost you a lot of time, effort, sweat, blood, tears, all that sort of stuff. How did you get through it? You did it because you knew there was a payoff on the other end, right? You, you, you stuck it out. Whether it was marathon training or birthing a baby or like saving up for like, uh, you know, a big purchase. You you went through all this stuff. You held out because you believed that what you were going to get on the other end was going to be worth it. And all this other stuff here in the middle, it's going to be fine. Like you're going to forget about it. So that's what Peter's saying. The payoff is worth the pain. So Gritty Hope sustains our faith under fire by putting trials in their eternal context, telling us it's momentary, but also by assuring us the purpose of these trials, right? And hey, suffering's always a little easier to deal with, isn't it, when you're like, oh, there's a reason for it. So that's what Peter tells them. He gives them two reasons. He says, hey, the suffering is happening. You're under fire to prove The tested genuineness of your faith. To display your genuine faith. This is the like, is this really what it claims to be? Think of it like a litmus test. Okay, what kind of, what what is this here? And In Peter's metaphor here, he uses uh, like the precious metals test. Is this real gold? So who needs the results of this test? The testing of your faith to figure out whether this, your faith is real or not. Hey, Clue, it's not God. God knows. You can't fool him. He doesn't need to, mm, I don't know about so-and-so, let's give him some hardship. God knows. So who needs the proof of this test? Well, other people do, right? Because, you know, maybe they're like, Huh. They're going through some crazy stuff right now. I guess they must really believe all the things they say they believe about this Jesus. And he must, be, he, must, he must be worth it if they're willing to go through that and still cling to him and still say he's good. Maybe there's something to this. Y'all, do you realize hardship and difficulty are when God's people go through that, that's one of the chief ways God grows his church. Because people stand up and they realize, "Huh, they've got a foundation for their lives and a foundation for their hope. That seems real. It seems gritty. It's getting them through. This seems to work. I want to know more." Right? So, the tested genuineness of your faith is—it proves your faith to other people, to your neighbors, and so forth. Here's somebody else that proves it to—to you. We human beings have an amazing capacity for self-deception, don't we? We can think we're so much better than we actually are. Uh, And trials will expose the true condition of our faith like none other. And where exactly we are putting our hopes and our faith, won't they? Just think about it. Every time you've landed in hot water in a tough situation, what has that told you about yourself? Where do you go? A tree came down in my backyard during the storm this past, uh, past week. And it was, it was really interesting, very enlightening to see like how I, my neighbors, all this, how we all reacted to that big situation. It exposes, where's my faith really? Where's my hope? What do I run to? Is it my bank account? Is it my friends? Is it my connections? Is it God? Where's my hope? So, our purpose of, of trials is to display our faith to ourselves and to the neighbors. The other second purpose to trials is to bring honor. Did you guys get that? Verse 7? Maybe found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It brings honor to Jesus. When you go through hardships, again, we talked a little bit about this already. You go through hardships, and the people around you who are watching what you're going through are like, wow, I guess this Jesus really is worth it, right? And they give him honor and praise and glory. It'll happen also in the last day when Jesus comes back and he's vindicated all these people who put their trust in me. I've held on to them. I've preserved them. I've taken care of them. No matter the fire that they went under. So it brings honor to Jesus. I'm gonna make you uncomfortable. Those of you who have uh, been walking with Jesus for a while, did you realize may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. The object actually is really vague there. Who's getting that praise, glory, and honor? Well, obviously, Jesus. You too. You will receive praise and glory and honor. Man, that makes me uncomfortable, right? I'm a good Christian. It needs to go all toward the Lord. But... Look up Romans 2, 6 through 10. The Bible is not not afraid of saying, we as God's followers will receive glory and praise and honor. You know why? Because God delights to delight in his children. He exalts over us with singing, Zephaniah says, right? And one day we will be celebrated for enduring under fire with God himself singing over his people for what he has done in and through us. God God delights over you. Your faith brings him glory and he sings over you. If that makes you uncomfortable, let me encourage you to sit in that for a little bit. All right, so that's gritty faith. That's uh, how it is tested under fire and and how it brings us to the superior hope. You want to know the biggest reason our hope should shape us? Because it's not in a set of propositions. It's not in a bunch of laws. It's in a person. Hope should shape us because it's actually in a person, a person who loves and cares for us. And Peter, as he's talking to these um, Christians, he says to them, hey, um, Look, you've got this inheritance, it's sure, Jesus' resurrection proved it, and guess what else? I know you're a part of it. You know why? Because your relationship, you have a living relationship with this one, this Jesus, and it's marked by these things. So what does he say in verse eight? Though you have not seen him, you love him. You love him. Love is that affection and obedient loyalty. And it's especially remarkable when you've never met or seen the person, right? And you're still taking a beating for them. Peter says, hey, that proves, that proves you're in this living relationship, this true relationship with God. So here's my question. Are you struggling with hope? And if so, how's your love for Jesus? And hey, I I get it. The the shame wave just washed over the congregation. We're like we're all feeling, "What my love for Jesus is pretty paltry and poor and all that." It, this is not meant to shame, right? It's just a diagnostic question, right? Because odds are, if we're not doing really well in our hope, then there's something deeper going on there. there there's a root of like, "I'm not really thriving in my love for Christ," and that's when we turn to these other joy counterfeits these hope counterfeits um, so what do you do what do you do if you find out you're running low on love this is a true relationship you do what you would do in any relationship you spend time with the other person right Jesus is inviting you hey come come experience my love for you come and see how I delight in you the fact that I rejoice over you is singing if you don't believe that it's going to affect how you love the Lord right let him remind you how he loves you and how he has proven it by going under fire for you and winning you that inheritance all the things that Peter talks about in verses 3 through 5 so spend time with Jesus and then surround yourself with people who do that'll help grow your love second thing this is a relationship marked by trust peter's telling these these disciples who are under fire, he said, hey, I know this relationship is real. You're part of this true relationship with the Lord because even though you're going through hardship, you trust him. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Because when things go wrong, the first thing we ask, isn't it? Why is God doing this? Why is he letting me suffer this way? We instantly reach for suspicion. Hope and trust are inseparable. And they're almost hard to distinguish from each other. Trust is a confidence that you place in a person, right? Then hope is what you expect from them, how they're going to act, and their behavior in the future, right? Because of that confidence, because of that trust that you put in them. Do you trust God to be all that he says he will be? To do all the things he says he will do? To tie this into the generosity series that Rick is going to kick us back up on next week, Um, one of the key indicators of where we're putting our trust is what we're doing with our money, right? Are you using your money to try to keep you safe? To make sure you have enough money to pay for the tree that got (laughs) knocked out of your backyard. Like, where's your money? What does that indicate about what you are putting your trust in? Right? And so what do you do if you find your trust flagging? Talk to Jesus about it. He wants to hear it. Really. This is again a true relationship. If you're like, Lord, I don't I don't really trust you. It's like I get that. I know it's hard to be a human. You know what else he calls you to do after talking to him? Take a risk. A risk that he is going to be and do. What he says he's going to be and do. Because I promise you, when you do that and he comes through and you find he actually does stand behind what he says, oh boy, that's going to build your trust a lot. So talk to him about it. Take a risk. Last bit. I'm going to focus on this a little bit more. It's the joy piece, right? Right? This is a relationship marked by joy. Peter says, even when you're under fire, you rejoice in him. And again, like what kind of joy is this? Our translation in the ESV here says, if necessary, you've been um, grieved by various trials. Oh, no, 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 at the very beginning. In this, you rejoice. This isn't just, like rejoice is a really strong word, right? Um, But in Greek, it's like, it's an exaltation. It's a celebration. It's like, all right, this is happening. And then later on, he says like this joy, the same word, exaltation is expressed like it's inexpressible and it's filled with glory. Y'all, this is some major joy and it's totally weird, right? Like who does this? Who, who has affliction and hardship come their way and they're like, yes this is happening, (laughs) y'all. No, it's weird. But it's the truest mark of a hope-filled Christian, right? One who, when under fire, can rejoice. So how's that kind of joy even possible? It's only possible as God proves to you how profoundly And unshakably, he loves you. When you realize all the stuff that I use is padding around my life to protect me from what is hard means nothing. But there's one person who loves me deeply, fully. He knows everything about me and he delights in me. He exalts over me. He rejoices over me with singing. Then you don't need all that other stuff. All that padding. Because you've got what matters. And you all know this to be true, right? Like, you've ever had a situation in your life um, where something threatening happened. And you lost maybe some big stuff. Could be a house, car, whatever, right? But in the end, you realize, like, you know what? If I have my family, (laughs) all that other stuff can go away. I've got what really matters. That's what this is like. This relationship with the Lord where you can even lose your family. And you can know, but he loves me. He loves me thoroughly and deeply more than I could ever imagine. More than anyone could ever know. It's that love that grounds us. It's this mercy-filled, life-giving, inheritance-granting, ever-guarding God. He loves you. And it takes time, but you come to realize that your current circumstances and situations, they're really poor indicators of God's love for you, right? Because God's love is constant, even when everything else around us is in flux. So you can have this hope-filled, joy-filled, this hope-filled joy even in the midst of trial when you know that God loves you and also when you've proved again and again how trustworthy God is. Again, that's the other part of the, the trials situation, right? You go through hardship, you go through trials and God will walk you through them because he wants to prove to you that I'm not just in this book I'm in your life. I didn't just walk with these people back then. I want to walk with you. You're my child. I love you. I will prove myself to you again and again and again. And when you trust God's love, and when you trust him and know that he is trustworthy, you can walk through hardship, right? Right. Again, God has to grow us out of our inborn suspicion of him. We all pop into the world because of the lie that our parents believed very way back in the beginning when Satan came to them in the garden and said, hey, can you really trust this guy? You really think he's got your good at heart? That lie sunk into every one of our hearts. We have this inborn suspicion of God and the only way for God to grow us out of that is to prove that he is always there when we, ex- when we expect him to flake. So as you come to love God and experience this unshakable trustworthiness in his promises, you trust him more. And that means whenever hardship hits, instead of reaching for that suspicion, instead of reaching for that abandonment, you left again. Where are you? You rejoice. You trust his love. You know he's in control and working all things out for your good and his glory. This kind of joy is only possible when we experience this true relationship with God. All right. As you leave today, we've been talking about hope. We've been grounding ourselves in the God who made these ancient promises to us, the God who proved them through the resurrection and sending us Jesus, who is, who's told us we have this inheritance that is ours. And now the question is, how, how do you leave here? How is, how is this hope that is real and true, this gritty hope, how's it going to shape your life when you step outside those doors today, right? So let's check in. What's the state of your hope? And what does it tell you about the state of your relationship with God? And if you're concerned, because honestly, I think we all should be, because we're never where we need to be, right? If you're concerned, There's hope. Because God loves the mess. He loves the broken sinner. If you're recognizing I'm not where I should be, that's exactly where you need to be. Because the Lord moves toward people like that. Because it means suddenly you're not... You're not clinging to your, your, your sham of hope, the, these false hope con- counterfeits that we keep falling back on. It means you're actually admitting where I am with God isn't a great place and that needs to change. And guess what that means? It means you're gonna turn to him and you're gonna talk to him about it, right? The Lord wants to grow you in your hope. He wants to grow you in your relationship with him. So talk to him about it. Ask him to give you this gritty, real hope. And you know what? It's promised. He will. He wants this for you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I ask that you would make us a hope-filled people, a people who wear it on our sleeve. I ask Jesus that when when people know us, that our names would be synonymous with this hope and a great savior, not in what we can do, not in the the amount of resources we have to get through hard times, I pray that our hope would be in Jesus, that everybody would know that. So, Father, I ask that as we leave today, Jesus, would you do, would you do what we can't do? Would you change our hearts? Would you prove again your love for us? Would you show us that we can trust you? Would you move us away from the suspicion? and toward a God who is infinitely trustworthy. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.